0: I bet some of you were, after that testimony, were waiting on Wesley to come out and get baptized. But we did that at 9.30. We just wanted to show y'all at 11. Love Wesley. Years ago, got to stand with him and Chelsea in marriage. Um, and uh, been walking with them through some cool stuff and seeing them grow. If if it's uh, your next step of obedience to be baptized, let us know. It would be great honor, high honor to walk with you in that regard. We're week two uh, in this series we're calling Courageous conversations and we're looking today at God and suffering when I was a young much much younger man had yet to marry Susan I was living in Florida but working in the summer out west studying seminary and going through staff training and college ministry me and two other leaders had a bunch of guys they were all doing undergraduate work from different campuses mostly out there and we went on a camping trip to the sierra nevada mountains and it was a rugged trip no no glamping on this one nothing glamorous about it we had 60 pounds on our back carried all of our essentials a few extras and we walked through worked through rugged terrain did some really cool stuff the last night that we were there down below we had an idea i think it was mostly mine these two other leaders i said man let's sneak out on these young guys and uh you know we're their leaders we're their supervisors if you will their chaperones but let's sneak out let's get up early because they've been kind of sleeping into like six or something so let's let's get up while it's still a little bit dark and clean up our part of the campsite grab our gear put our little lights on our foreheads and get on out of here and see how they do So, you know, it's kind of like a wilderness survival, rugged wilderness survival program. I've noticed that in Jackson. Parents are having discipline problems with their kids. They send them to some rugged wilderness survival program. So we thought, hey, these guys, we'll just see how they can do, how they they can fend for themselves. And this was the age before cell phones. And they, they probably, you know, we were wondering about how they would do with directions. And we couldn't have any contact with them. Would they find the right trail and all that? So we got back and got out with a lot of hard work, but got out and we waited and we waited And we waited. And this was like a church camping trip, basically, you know, where you're supposed to save those who are lost, not lose those who are saved. And we really, we began to wonder, man, what happened? What went wrong? Did something, you know, are they okay? Are they safe? Did someone sprain an ankle? Or, you know, did did it degenerate into Lord of the Flies because they don't have their leaders? We're their leaders. They need us, you know, um, and... It uh, took a little while for them to finally uh, meet up with us. In fact, we, had, we descended back down into it to, to meet with them, to get them. And they seemed okay. They didn't seem too mad. Uh, they never did anything with us ever again. But, um, you know, it is what it is. But I think some of us have this, um, by way of analogy, we have this perception of God. That he kind of got the camping started. He got the camping trip started. He, he cranked up the universe and he just threw us the keys and said, hey, you find your way back to the car. That he's not there for us. He's not available. He's not aware of us. We've lost communication with him. And it's just kind of find your way through this. If you have a Bible, if you brought a Bible, and honor those of you who did, Job is where we'll be. It's going to be a bit heavy today. Today's not uh, Comedy Central by any stretch. We're going to get a little heavy today. And we're tackling one of the hardest subjects that anybody could tackle. It has confounded theologians, historians, scholars, philosophers, uh, just every human throughout the span of our history. It's a tough one, no doubt, today. But I want us to look at Job. We're going to to look at a passage in Job 5 and then a passage in Job 6. And then we're going to ask five questions related to this this reality of suffering. Five questions. Here's Job uh, chapter 5. Here's what he says. coming to a theater near you for affliction does not come from the dust nor does trouble sprout from the ground but man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward trouble is coming you were born for adversity one guy I admire a writer that I love he talks about how if you look at the bible that the first couple of chapters of the book, it's a collection of 66 books. It's a library of books. But the first couple of chapters are the world before suffering. Like it was, it was the garden. You know that. They walked with God in the coolness of the day. They were naked and unashamed. It was, you know, better than San Diego. It was, it was good. It was better than Garth Brooks in Baton Rouge singing Baton Rouge. It was, it was just really good. It was, it was good stuff. It was two chapters. Two chapters. Of life before suffering, and then you can go to the back of the book, and it gives us a, it gives us a little inkling of, a, and it taps into our imagination about the new heaven and the new earth and life without any suffering at all. But all in between, and this is thick. But all in between, it's a story about suffering. It's about a story of you and I living in a world that groans. Roman eight says that creation groans. And, you know, you don't have to, uh, you know, be out there politically or anything, but, you know, God has called us to be caretakers of our, our planet, and it is an increasingly fragile planet, and we are to care for it. We're to care for it. And so every tsunami, every tornado, this is not the subject today, every earthquake, every hurricane, all these things point us to a, a turn that we made uh, with our world, with, our, with the earth that God has given us to care for. But the creation groans. We suffer. Every life gets touched. No life is exempt from this. And here's the trick with us. We think science, medicine, technology, all the advances that we have, we can control things. Any control freaks, don't raise your hand. Any control freaks, like you want to control everything. And that's the hard thing about suffering is when when we suffer, we realize we're not in control. This is not how we wrote the script. This is not what we invited into our door. This is not what we wanted, and we're taken aback by it. We can't control it, and all the advances of science and medicine and technology we, gives us the illusion of control. When I'm with guys my age, not losing younger campers in the woods, but just hanging out with guys my age, and they say something about a back or a, or, or a knee or something like that, I just give them a little perspective and tell them that, man, if, you were, uh, if, if this was the medieval period, you'd have been dead like 15 years ago. We, every, every era before us, certainly in ancient times, every era before us had this much more um, in-depth understanding of the reality of suffering than we do. And because of our advances in all those areas, science, medicine, th- technology, we think that we can largely escape it or minimize it to a point. And so we're at a disadvantage in this important subject that has never left humanity. It, it is, uh, theologically speaking, practically speaking, it's a part of the fall. And so all of us are faced with it. Here's what Job would say next in the, in the sixth chapter, one chapter later. Oh, that my vexation, my loss, my pain, my suffering, all these things I'm going through, it, if it were weighed, all my calamity laid in the balance. And he's, he's saying, my troubles are so many. They are so great. They weigh so heavy on me. Anybody carrying a load today? It's like, oh, if these were put on a scale, how, mo- how many tons? How many? What are we talking about today? How, how heavy is the burden that I've been carrying? I want to give us five questions this morning, and I want to offer some perspective on suffering. I said this in a post uh, last night, just praying and looking forward to today, but the writers of Scripture, um, this gives me some grace. I don't know if you're going to give me grace today, but uh, this gives me grace in this moment today. The writers of Scripture, um, when they write, they're, they're not looking at people giving them airtight explanations of why we suffer they're actually looking up to God saying how long why do you hide your face from me why does my why is my throat grown parched from crying out and feeling like you're not there and so what we see is fellow strugglers not airtight arguments so I'm going to give us questions that will give us perspective here's the first Why does God permit so much pain? So pretend you're me for a moment and you're here. and You got people in front of you. You got a few watching online. What do you say at this moment? Why does God permit so much pain? The audio is not good, but take a look and listen at a toy called the Mr. Wonderful doll. A wife's. Any wife's dream here. Push a button, and these are the responses you get from this toy called Mr. Wonderful. You
1: know, I think it's really important that we talk about our relationship. Let's just cuddle tonight. Mmm, you look so beautiful in the morning. No. You don't look at all fat in that dress. How could anything make you look fat? Aw, can't your mother stay another week? Hello, darling. Have I told you I loved you lately? Did you have a hard day, honey? Why don't you sit down and let me rub your feet? You're going shopping by yourself? How about if I tag along? ...and carry your bags. Actually, I'm not sure which way to go. I'll turn in here and ask directions. I love you. Yes, dear. You've been on my mind all day. That's why I bought you these flowers.
0: Okay, you get the idea there. He never... Mr. Wonderful, the program doll... He never disappoints. He always is there. He's never sarcastic, never selfish, never rude. He says just what that wife wants to hear always, as long as you have three AA batteries that you put in. Any downside to loving a programmed doll? Would there be any downside if that was the universe that we lived in? If you ask Mr. Wonderful the doll if he loved you, how would you ever really know if he loved you? Deeper still, is that even love? Let me ask you, is it love? It's not love. It's not what anybody longs for. It's not even close. The writer C.S. Lewis, you know I'm going to drop some Lewis today. He said this so powerfully, free will is what made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? He's talking about original men and women. Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of automata, of creatures that work like machines, would hardly be worth creating. Those things that we live for, that we long for, that makes anything go. Joy and goodness and love, it's only, it's, it only means anything to us if it's real. God could have made programmable dolls, but it wouldn't be real. It wouldn't be the experience. Jesus himself walked into a world full of sin and calamity. And Jesus looked at people's free will and he saw those who were turning away. Those who were speaking in the name of God, but not living in any way like him. And Jesus was burdened by those. In Matthew 9, it says they were scattered. He saw them and he agonized within them because they were like sheep scattered. They were helpless with no leader, no meaning in their lives. Jesus would look out over a city that I've been to a couple of times, a city, a place called Jerusalem. And he would say this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, his heart would hurt. You who kill the prophets in stones. In other words, you have free will. You kill the prophet and stone, those sent to you. How often... Have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and yet you were not willing? We see the emotional heart of God. We see him hurt over creation, don't you? Don't you doesn't it hurt to see people scattered? Doesn't it hurt to see violence and war and injustice and racism? Doesn't it hurt to look at this world and see all who are lost And Jesus saw that, and he knows that we have a will, and you and I have a will. And when it comes to this reality of evil, look, he taught us to pray a prayer. We preached it last year. We went through the, uh, had a whole series on the Lord's Prayer. But he taught us, lead us not into into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus didn't say evil, you know, is not going to be in your world if you're religious. In fact, some of the worst evil in the world is perpetrated in the name of religion. We're going to look at hypocrisy in a few weeks. But Jesus would say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Evil will exist, and evil can reside in you, but let's fight the fight. We've been given this free will, so why why does God permit it to happen? We won't know fully, but we do know there's this exercise that we have, that this universe that everybody has choices Set in front of them. Deuteronomy 30. Choose you. I've set before you life and death. Choose life. We we argue and debate and walk in this world. It's way more than politics. But what does it mean to be pro-life? I was involved in a rigorous discussion this week regarding that. I set before you death and life. Choose life. To be a person of faith is to choose life always. Uh, Joshua, as for me and my family, we have chosen. Choose you this day whom you will serve. We have, chosen, we have chosen to serve the Lord. We have choice and we have free will. And that helps us make sense of some of the suffering. The second question is why doesn't God just end all the evil? This overlaps with the first question. They all do in some respects. Well, let's say God um, made an announcement he uh, bought Twitter. He's probably been banned from Twitter, so he but let's say he buys Twitter for 45 billion and he makes a big announcement on Twitter this week. And he says that by Wednesday of next week, Wednesday at midnight of next week, I'm going to come into this world, this fallen, busted, broken-up world that people have chosen by their free will. I'm going to end all evil next Wednesday at midnight. And I'm going to I'm going to have a taser gun. I'm going to use this temporary Electroshock, this current, this voltage of electricity that I'll shoot into people, and I will zap them when they are about to do something evil. Years ago, I talked to some Flowood police officers a few miles down the road, and they said that they all had, as police officers, they all had taser guns. But they told me that in order to have one and to carry one, they had to be shot with one. I guess a sympathy gesture there to help them do better in just policing. But God says, okay, I've got this taser gun, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stamp out evil. Because you have free will, though. You have choices to make, But so I've got to get you. So if you, if you think you're going to rob someone, zap. If you start to tell a lie, zap. If you're thinking about going on a murderous rampage, zap, 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 zap incapacitated, zap. But you know what? Evil, according to the Scriptures, and I buy into this, evil is not just acts done that are wrong it's thinking of what you could do because evil actions flow from evil thoughts so if you're thinking evil thoughts zap if you conceive of an idea that could lead to evil zap but you know evil according to scripture is not just doing bad things or thinking bad things it's also not doing the good One example of thousands, God tells us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Quit promoting yourself. Quit making it about you. It's not about you. Bend your knee to God Almighty and make life, your life, about worship of him. Do justice. Who needs help? Who needs to be lifted up out of the pit? Who's marginalized? Who's hurting? Who's on the sidelines? Who doesn't feel loved? Show mercy. Show mercy. Come, come alongside someone who's walking in guilt or shame and be merciful to them. But the absence of doing that. So if you're failing to do what is good and you know it to be good, zap, 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 zap. Lewis again, one more Lewis for this sermon. I don't have it on the screen. But he said that God whispers to us in our pleasure. Y'all have heard this, hadn't you? He whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to us in our consciousness. And he shouts at us in our pain. It is God's megaphone to rouse the world. So I cannot explain to you in an ironclad way all the evil in our world today. But I can tell you that it's meant to get our attention. When we experience suffering and loss, and look, you you got to be honest with that. It's not comforting, but let's be honest. with the, The only time God can get your attention sometimes is when you're hurting. The only time you take him seriously and when you're broken is when someone walks out the door. Or you get a diagnosis. Or somebody crossed a double yellow line and hit someone that you loved. Or you experience a chronic pain that just won't go away. Then God's got your attention. There's something about suffering. And, the, and something, I think, to Lewis's quote, there's something about the suffering in this world. When we see evil hurting people, particularly children, it rouses us. It ought to rouse us to action. Remember what Jesus would say in a parable, talking about the end of all time, when there would be a new heaven and a new earth, and every wrong would be made right. He, he said this. He's telling a story. I'm just picking it up toward the end. The king, the king in his story, the king that's meeting out justice, says... He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Christian, can I say if that if you are among us who call themselves a follower of Jesus, God has not called you to explain evil to our world. He's called you to do something about it. He's called you to alleviate. He's called you to partner with him to be a part Of lifting the burdens of those who are broken. The next question as we consider suffering is this. Is God unmoved by our suffering? Jesus was born in a manger. Jesus lost his dad when he was young. In between that, they were killing children in the land. His family had to become a refugee family. He worked obscurely in poverty as a carpenter. He wept. He experienced loss at the result of evil, disease, sin, sickness, and death when his friend Lazarus had died. He wept in that scene. He grew hungry and tired and thirsty and lonely. He agonized in this world in which we lived. People rejected him. Friends abandoned him. Disciples betrayed him. Isaiah would say this prophetically before him, about him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. This about Jesus, it's I would say a, a too obscure. it's too obscure of a passage in Hebrews. It says this, I want you to hear it today, I bet some of you never have. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears, he he, crowd, he cried loudly to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus understood that the fall of man had brought the reality of evil, and that people had turned to do their own way, and that he would be a part. But it was his submission to the greater plan, and we are called to that as well. The fourth question that I have for you today. Why doesn't God do more? Similar. Overlapping with the first two questions that we've asked. Have you been there? Have you seen something that's hard to see? Have you seen someone walking through something and just, it's just, it's anguish. And you're like, God, where are you? God, where are you in this situation? To live is to pray that prayer. To live is to have that angst within you. To see and observe what's happening around you. Is to experience that in a real way. In a raw way. In a very painful way. God, what, you know, why won't you do more? Why doesn't God do more? Three, three illustrations. Stay with me for a moment. And I hope can shed tiny bits of light into this question. To give you perspective that will be helpful. Three teenage boys are bored one night. They each grab a baseball bat, true story. They hop in their car. They go out looking for some fun. They see a homeless man on a bench. And despite his cries for help, for mercy, they beat him senseless with their baseball bats, true story. God, where are you? Why did you let that happen? Surveillance cameras capture this, as the nation would learn. Anybody remember this story? Surveillance cameras would capture them. Because of the video surveillance, these teenagers were captured and brought to trial. This crime, this despicable act of evil, God, where are you? This despicable act of evil, while I can't stand here and explain it, no one can. There were some redemptive elements to it. It cast a national spotlight. It sparked conversations about the homeless problem like few things have in our nation's history. In fact, I shared this at the 930 service, but one of our partners, Jackson Leadership Foundation, is hosting something at a downtown church in a couple of weeks where all the agencies, most of the agencies in Jackson that are doing something about the homeless problem are meeting to pray and discuss future endeavors. You're invited if you want to be a part of it. But that's exactly what happened, and that's exactly the response to evil. You can't explain it, but we can see some tiny traces of redemption. A 13-year-old girl was walking from home to a school carnival. 13-year-old girl. This was in the early 80s. She was hit by a man who was drunk. He had had three prior drunk driving Incidences. This 13 year old girl was killed. Her mom, Carol Lightsey, would come to found MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. Just this month, I don't pretend to know all the details. I know one of you will offer some insider correction if I'm in error here, but in our state, there's legislation that just passed that says if a drunk driver kills, Another person who has children, that drunk driver is going to be responsible for paying child support until that kid makes it through college. Mad, this mom who was mad, who shook her fist at the universe, at God himself, became a redemptive part. How many lives, no one knows, but just imagine with me for a little bit. Like a little sliver of joy in a heavy sermon today. How many lives do you think have been saved because of this life that was lost? In South Florida, the South Florida Mall, a little boy named Adam was abducted. His parents had turned the other way for just a matter of a few minutes. Adam was snatched. Adam Walsh. Sixteen days later, little Adam's body would be found. John Walsh, you already know, was the architect, the originator of America's Most Wanted. It's converted this movement, has converted average citizens into crime watchers. It has transformed local, state, national law enforcement agencies to work together to have a vast coordinated network when it comes to missing children. It has brought 2,000 Fugitives of justice to bear witness and account how many lives have been saved. In no way do these three illustrations even remotely suggest that we should take any comfort in a teenage girl being killed. A homeless man being beaten. Or the tragic loss of abduction of children's lives. But what we do get in this busted up universe full of sin is we get little traces of redemption. We get little snippets of how bad things can be redeemed. Of how evil acts can be turned around. Another question. This is number five and last. In the midst of so much suffering, can I still trust God? In the mid-90s, I believe 95 was the year, Timothy McVeigh drove a bus or a truck with uh, fertilizer and chemicals that were insanely explosive. He drove it into a downtown building that at the time, we've, uh, we've changed our architecture because of this. Put up blockades at federal buildings, but Timothy McVeigh, angry at his country, pulled a truck in and blew up a building. 165 people, a whole lot of children, lost their lives in a kindergarten that day. Billy Graham was invited to come speak to the families who lost loved ones. Which says something to you already, doesn't it, about our humanity and our searching And our hope that there is a God and that life can be redeemed, even the hardest things. And that day when Billy Graham spoke, I watched his talk this week in preparation for this sermon. And Billy Graham talked about to this people the diversity of what happens when suffering, immense suffering, comes to play. And he knew he was standing in front of people just like I would be if we were in the same scenario. Praise God we're not. But if it was in the same scenario, he was standing before people. That some would say, I have suffered. There cannot be a God who would let this happen. And there and there are those who've suffered who would say, I couldn't imagine walking this road alone. Without a good God who will redeem who will restore, who will make every wrong right. Before his prayer, he gave a challenge to not let this despicable act by a few men poison them and embitter them and turn them from the very life God would have for them. It was a challenge to trust in God even though they don't understand. And here's what I want to say to you today. Everybody who has or will be going through something difficult, the choice is yours. Will your suffering and the load that you carry be so great that you'll draw that conclusion? I cannot believe in a good and just God. My pain is too great. He's not big enough. My problem is bigger than God. He can't redeem it. I I, I will not follow. I will not worship. I will not believe in him. That choice is yours. But here's what I want to say. And I, I want you to open your heart to consider this today. There are people. And I know them. And I know some people. Who've lost. The guy we baptized. In the 930 service. He and his wife drove to the hospital to give birth to a baby who already died. No one that day was ready for a funeral with a casket just a little bit bigger than this Bible. But I know plenty of people who've suffered great loss and their God is real. I've said this before. I'll say it every time I preach on suffering. If this book promised that you will not suffer then I say, close it up, th- throw it on the floor, spit on it, and kick it, and walk out, and live as if there is no God. But here's the promise of Jesus, and he was really clear. And it's harder for modern hearers to learn this because we think we can control everything, but we can't. You, the control you think have, you have over your life, I love you enough to tell you today, it's an illusion. It is an illusion. And only suffering will break you from that grip. And nobody, including this dude, is ready for it when it comes because it hurts. Why, God? But Jesus did not promise you will not suffer. He promised you will not suffer alone. So anybody that's struggling with belief in God because of Oklahoma City bombings or children being abducted or anything we talked about today, what about the people? who've been through something hard, who say, my God is real, and my God gives peace. As Alex and the team comes, you got to get me out of this, bro. We're going to sing. Maybe something joyful, I don't know. But I want to close with this, and I'm giving um, any strident skeptics... Who don't believe Jesus Christianity is real or worth following. I know I'm giving you some ammunition. Giving you something to make fun of. But I can't help but think this is the way to close this today. By way of perspective. There's a story about a boy. He was so excited to go fishing with his dad that Saturday. They lived on a farm. And they had a lot of responsibilities. He had a lot of chores. That's the trouble with some of y'all. You don't have enough chores. Look at me youngsters. need to give y'all some chores but this guy was looking forward to Saturday to go fishing with his dad he sprang forth out of bed and he sunk, his spirit sunk because he heard rain heavy, heavy rain so his dad, you know, was like, "Oh." so the boy spent that early part of the day cranky and moody pretty sedentary bored clouds broke sun shone dad walked into his room and said, you know what? I think we got time. They threw their fishing gear into a pickup truck. They drove out to one of their favorite uh, ponds on the farm. Boy, they caught fish that day. I mean, they were biting. Farmers, they go back and they, that would get, well, guess what they had for dinner that night? The fish they caught. And the dad said, hey, son, would you pray for us before they had the, their dinner? And the little boy said uh, in his prayer, God, forgive me. I was moody and cynical. I think I just lost sight of the fact that you see further down the road. I just didn't see far enough down the road. Here's what I want to say that's us. For everyone tempted to shake their fist at heaven because of what you're going through, what you see in the world, man, I'm with you. It hurts. That's what you have in this book. I, I just, I hate the fact that we've cleaned it up and sanitized it. But you know, our problem is we just don't see far enough down the road. And Paul tells us in Philippians 3, he says, We need to share in Christ's fellowship. Oh, yeah, fellowship of Christ. Come on. We get to share in the power of this resurrection. Are you kidding me? Oh, man. But you know, he says in Philippians 3, in between that, fellowship, give me some of that, powers, resurrection, I need that. He says, you'll share in the sufferings. But it'll form you and it'll shape you. And he says in the third chapter of Colossians, I'm about to quit. He says, set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. So stand with me. Because I know there's someone here today, you think fishing has been rained out. You don't know if happiness can be your friend. You have plans that got crushed. But I bet you, if you hang on, I bet if you have hope in God, I bet if you wait patiently, I bet if you seek him and ask him to Ephesians 1.18 to open the eyes of your heart, I bet you will find out somewhere down the road that you just didn't see far enough now. But one day you will. I still got a couple of minutes. Years ago in West Virginia, Sago, West Virginia, coal miners were doing their job underground, hundreds and hundreds of feet underground. And an explosion occurred and they were trapped. And all the media outlets local and state and federal and international showed up. This lasted a long time. And these men were huddled underneath. Their families were upstairs praying fervently and these men were doing everything they could to breathe non-toxious fumes to get just good oxygen that could sustain them but they began to die and word got up to their loved ones that there weren't many of these men left they would find out later that almost every man trapped in that West Virginia coal mine took out something like an insurance card from their wallet and wrote down a message to their family. And the foreman of that crew wrote down a message. Tell my loved ones, I'll see them on the other side. The medical examiner had given that brother that note. And here's what I love. It's my last slide, my last point. If I still got it. Jesus gives us something better than I'll see you on the other side. Because to me, that's just a little too vague. That's just not enough. But Jesus said, I go and I prepare a place for you. And here I go again. But the only man in the history of the world that predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off. When he says something, I'm all in with him. Jesus gives us a picture and he would have a writer he would have a writer named John who would later talk about there's a place and let me tell you a little bit about that place there will be no more pain and no more death and no more tears none of that in this place it's a glorious place and it's a whole lot more than I'll see you on the other side does the Christian experience in an airtight way explain suffering no but when it talks about it, it's it's right about it every single time. And it gives us some hope to point to someone, the one who said, who did not say you will not suffer, is the one who said, you will not suffer alone. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you bless your people and this has been heavy and My job I get to see a lot of suffering but I thank you for people they're real and they've been through stuff I would never want to go through and their God is real and their peace is abundant it's not built on their circumstances it's in spite of it and I don't have enough faith to be an atheist I can't embrace despair. The stubborn, unyielding eternity that you've put me in my heart, that put in my heart, you placed in all of our hearts. And Lord, I pray that we would tap into that today. Minister to those who are hurting. Help us to do what we've talked a lot about this past year, that we would add to our faith goodness and to goodness knowledge teach us, instruct us Lord we pray as the ushers come forward you would bless these tithes and offerings, let generosity flow from this place let us not spend time in airtight sanctuaries in lofty perches in realms of academia trying to explain all the evil in this world, let us be unleashed let us be unleashed to alleviate do justice and love mercy as we walk humbly with you let us not forsake the city of jackson let us not read the headlines and judge people and label them and retreat let us hurt let our hearts be broken let us be a part of healing
1: this land in jesus we pray amen